This is Punk Theology, the podcast. Punktheology.com Thank you, Jeeves. Yes, my name is Rush Shaw, and this is episode number 11, season 2 of the podcast. Today, doing something a little different, my one-on-one conversation with Nathan Sutton, who, among many of his jobs is the Washington State Coordinator for Homeless Veterans Outreach for the VA Hospital. Nate is a vet himself and has dealt with a lot of his own demons, dealing with his own shit like a lot of great healers, and uh, has a fascinating story, and I'm honored to introduce him to the Punk Theology audience. Here we go. Um, I was homeless by choice for about nine months. Um, I mean, I had money coming in. I had a place I could stay, but I didn't want to be a part of society anymore. I was so fed up with people. No such thing as spare time. No such thing as free time. No such thing as downtime. All you got is lifetime go Cause it's your own time Cause it's time to shine Cause it's time to go Go, go Yeah Nate Well just get started man how you doing? It's good to good to have you on uh, on the podcast. Welcome to Punk Theology. Thank you. You bet. Uh won't you introduce yourself? What what do you do, man? What for the listeners out there, uh, I do a lot. Uh, I work for the VA. Um, I also uh, work on a lot of nonprofits, boards, and everything uh, related related to veterans, or also um, elderly programs, kids programs, lots of things in the community. I'm currently writing a book right now. Um, got a family. Do you have a working um, title yet, or? Uh, I I have about eight working titles. So oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, try to figure out which one works best. So, you uh, you're you're employed with the VA, mm-hmm. and you work uh, specialized in homeless homeless vets. Yeah, technically, I'm the homeless coordinator for all of Washington State, but um, I end up uh, uh, because I'm out in the community. I'm one of the few that are out in the community all the time. I end up. Uh, I end up seeing anybody who comes through my door, so right, not right. just homeless. Yeah, and you do outreach stuff as well, and yeah, I just help help guys with claims and things like that. Yeah, I see. So, folks that are uh, on the streets, like that's a it's a hard thing in the city. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of homeless in Seattle, and yeah, and I appreciate what you guys do, man. Mm-hmm. So. I'm always curious why people go into the to what they do, right? Like, sure. <laughs> what motivates one to uh, to get involved in 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 what you do uh, for work and and this book you're writing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, a little bit about your your past. You grew up uh, around here, or so yeah. I um, I grew up mostly in Washington State. Um, 
I grew up in a uh, you know, difficult kind of childhood mm-hmm. uh, up until the point when I was 17 when I joined the Marine Corps. Um, okay. A couple days after 9-11, I went into the recruiter's office. Um, but I grew up mostly around here, um, North Bend is uh, where I spent most of my most important years. <laughs> okay. Uh, I like it up there. So, uh, how long were you in the in the Marines? I was in the Marine Corps for eight years. I uh, did three tours to Iraq. Um, I was the first vehicle in Iraq, second vehicle in Baghdad for the Marine Corps. Uh, went through four minefields. That was exciting. Um, we were in the front the whole way. Right. Um, and then uh, I was there for the fight for Fallujah and all that stuff for my second tour. And then I had one last tour after that. Uh, which was much calmer by then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Things calmed down. But you did see a lot of action over there then, right? I, I had a unique point of view of seeing... I got to see what the news doesn't show you. Mm-hmm. you know, I got to see uh, when we first invaded Iraq. You, call, you can call it an invasion, but it was almost a willing invasion. There was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who were... Crowding the streets the whole way up, saying Bush good, Saddam bad, and they were, mm-hmm. you know, offering us food, offering us their daughters, you know, things like oh, that. Geez. Please take her, take her <laughs> home with you, you know, like all this other stuff. And you yeah. know, there was so much support. I was a demolition expert, so when we got to Iraq, uh, got to Baghdad um, after taking Baghdad. Uh, about every block to block and a half, there was some sort of statue or something like that of Saddam. I mean, right. that was. A <laughs> Uh, really liked himself, right? Yeah. And so I, I would go and blow, blow all that up. And then every time the cloud would clear, there'd be people just crowding the streets, throwing their shoes at it, which is a huge insult over there, uh-huh. peeing on it and everything oh, else. Wow. And so I got to see, I got to see really what the, what the initial push looked like, and then I got to see the hardest uh, part of the war, which was uh, 2004, 2005. Um, that's where I lost pretty much every friend that I cared about, except for my except for my closest friend who committed suicide a couple weeks after we got back. And so I had one tour. I had, Sorry, dude, that's hard. Yeah, yeah. you know it's it's that's part of the ugly side of this world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, but with each with each one of these things, you know, it's uh, each one of these deployments, I have lost a lot but i have gained a lot as well mm-hmm. so so it took its toll though i mean mm-hmm. ptsd stuff like that yeah so i got i got out of the marine corps in 2009 and my life was just falling apart you know it was just really difficult and this is what led led me to um going to school to be a counselor i worked in counseling uh for seven and a half years and uh i left that whole field because I strongly disagree with the way uh, traditional counseling works these days where it's all on the surface. It's all diagnose, treat, diagnose, treat, yeah, suppress. Yeah. You know, let's, 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 uh, <laughs> let's fix the symptoms, yeah. you know, and, and really, really didn't address uh, what was most important to me. And, you know, with going to school to be a counselor and being in counseling myself and trying all those things, I... 
I tried every option I could think you could think of: recreational therapy, horse therapy, music therapy, yeah. uh, <laughs> the horse C- therapy. Yeah, I've C- heard about that. Yeah, yeah, CBT, EMDR, mm-hmm. group therapy. I tried all these different things, even holistic stuff and uh, acupuncture and uh, hypnotism, and I tried a lot of different things. And you know, at the at, at when I was about. 20, 31 I think shortly after I turned 31 I had a mild heart attack because of stress I mean mm-hmm. it was there was no permanent damage or anything like that. but but it, it was a wake-up point for me that you know I'm trying all these things I'm trying to push and push and get through all these in every way that anybody has had something to say about it you know right. any, anybody has has suggested to me I've tried it mm-hmm tried a lot of self-help books and things like that and and at that point i just realized you know i if i don't find an answer it's gonna kill me i struggle with suicide you know all all the way up to that point then you you with a heart attack either i I realized if if i don't kill myself it's gonna kill me right and uh and here i am i'm working in counseling and i'm trying all these things and so i realized okay the definition of insanity is you know doing something doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results um and so i at that point i'm like i need to find an answer and i started looking around i'm like i've tried that i've tried that i've tried this i've tried this so what when you say answer like what what kind of answer are you looking for like what were you peace just contentment right Um, getting to a place where you weren't stressed out thoughts weren't running all the time and Absolutely, and where I wasn't struggling. I mean, I had I had times during all of this uh, where I uh, started nonprofits and had success, mm. but I would always measure myself based off of this uh, scale of success and failures. Mm. Um, I call it, you know, my mask. You know, I would measure myself by my mask, and right. uh, and my mask was full of cracks. I couldn't do anything perfect because I'm not a perfect person. Yeah, yeah. So everything had some sort of a crack in it. Right. <laughs> and I could, even if somebody com- complimented me on 90% of my success, I would still see that crack and be like, <laughs> still a right. failure. Yeah, wow. And so I, I just wanted peace. I wanted, I wanted to stop feeling like I'm taking this weight with me everywhere. Right, like that inner critic mm-hmm. in you that's pointing out the yeah, the yeah. cracks in your mask. And... Yeah, you know, it's the expectation that we have put on us. You know, for me, it was when I was a kid, boom, here's a mask. My parents gave me a mask. You wear this, and if you're outside of that, then there's a problem. Like, right. Okay, yeah. well, I would try. You know, we were all well-intended. I would try, and then I would be good on 10 things and then i'd you know mess up on something and then it would crack and i'd look at my mask and i'd feel like i'm broken all right yeah something wrong with me yeah so anyway um it's a good analogy no there's i'm full of analogies that's how i think i think in simple terms (laughs) yeah me too emotional word pictures because you can feel Mm -hmm. something like that you know when you describe a, a a metaphor or analogy do you have any uh religious upbringing growing up and yeah um that play into so, some of that so i i was when i was born uh my my mom was still mormon uh they were mormon until i was uh six around six years old mm-hmm. and then my my mom became a non-denominational christian um and more you know strict bible don't add don't take away right, <laughs> kind of yeah. thing um and uh and so for me, I 
I mean, that was another thing that I tried. I tried to, my religion was another way to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I never understood some of the basics of religion or of what it was really about until uh, not too long ago, you know, in this whole discovery of things I'm writing my book about and everything. Um, it wasn't until I understood who I was that I understood why God would love me. Because mm. I always viewed myself as this mask, right? Right. You know, which was full of cracks. Mm -hmm. I've made so many mistakes in my life, monumental mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, not even, not not just small ones. I've made terrible mistakes in my life. And um, and so I would look at my life and I'd, you know, I, I wouldn't tell people like that before. You know, before I wouldn't tell mm -hmm. them my mistakes because I got I to gotta keep up this persona, you know, that, right. hey, everything's good. How are you doing? I'm fine. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I yeah. I that's that's how I viewed myself and when I viewed myself like that as flawed, as cracked, as as broken, I never understood why would why does religion make sense? Why would why yeah. would God care at all about us? Why would Jesus die on the cross for us? That doesn't make any sense cuz I didn't feel I was worth it. Right, right. Um, so value is a, is a big one. Mm -hmm. So how did this uh move into your your heart for uh working with the homeless vets like uh so you, you have an an interesting perspective in that world as well right yeah yeah being able to connect with people who are broken living on the streets so yeah i mean i connect pretty well to people who have been through a lot in life because i've been through a lot in life and so um I I've been the homeless coordinator long long before I got this job. I um, I helped to start the first uh, big homeless stand down um, for Project Homeless Connect, one of the nonprofits I worked with. That's not one of the ones I started though. I just was helping them start the first thing. But I started uh, I started when I was in the counseling field. I started working with homeless, but I had my own experience. Um, I was homeless by choice for about nine months um, I mean I had money coming in I had a place I could stay but I didn't want to be a part of society anymore I was so fed up with people wow. that I just I mean when I I would work when I had to work and when I was off work I'd go sleep on the beach or if it was raining would go uh, me and a bunch of the other homeless people would go sleep on top of a porn shop in, right. in, in Oceanside California um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm glad for those times cause it gave me perspective. I'm glad for, you know, all, all of this stuff because it gave me, um, what I like to call unopened gifts, gifts that we don't consider opening typically because we're told we're supposed to suppress all the negative and push down all the negative and seek, seek for all the positive. Yeah, yeah. Thing is, there is no 100% positive or 100% negative thing in this world. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and so when we're told to do that, we miss out. It's, it's a big thing, you know. We we did a show on that about positive thinking, and and it's sort of like you know, society. It's like, hey, you know, put frosting on a turd and call it a cookie. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. like a, it doesn't really, you know, you got to get into the roots of of a thing in order to. Mm -hmm. And then life isn't always positive. Like mm -hmm. you know, there's. 
there's harsh things that happen in this world. It's harsh things mm-hmm. happen to other people and pretending like everything's rosy all the time is, uh, you know, it's like holding back a sneeze or something. Mm-hmm. Eventually your head just explodes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I've come to the point where I don't consider any, any one thing a hundred percent negative, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have uh, through through this whole process of you know trying to find an answer. I finally I finally have found some tools and some answers that have actually changed the way I feel and the way I look. And I've been talking to I mean I've talked to hundreds of veterans uh, about about this and and it uh, it's been changing their lives. And that's why I want to write a book. I mean, I don't care about the money. The money I'm going to donate to uh, veterans programs and children's programs. Right, I right. care less about that. I just want for people to to understand what I wish I would have understood all those years that I struggled. All those years I sought an answer. And every answer I got from everybody, from my parents to the Marine Corps, to relationships, to counselors who were supposed to be the ones to help you, to actually going to school to be a counselor and all this other stuff I just never found these answers right and I didn't even find them honestly because I didn't understand what the Bible was saying I didn't even find them in the Bible I I tried studying I tried praying and I would just I would I would understand in my head some of it but it just wouldn't reach to what I was needing to understand in my heart do you think Part of writing this book and, and telling a story is is asking more questions. Like I have a friend who's a, an author, and we've kind of stole this for a part of the tagline in this podcast is, uh, what if one really, really good question is better than 10,000 answers, mm-hmm. right? That has been my biggest problem in life is I've asked myself so many stupid questions, questions that seemed like, you know, I would get the answer I wanted, but I never asked myself the most important questions. And when I did, that's when I had those breakthroughs. Yeah. It wasn't about, you know, what answer I'm looking for. It was about asking myself the right question. Yeah. And that, that happened a couple of periods, uh, during all of this journey that I've gone through, um, where either a question was phrased to me or I asked myself a question that was so... I don't. I, I, I want to say basic in a way, but yet so powerful that I had never even, uh, never even occurred to me. Um, and I, I guess the, the only way I could explain that to you is by kind of going through what, uh, what I'm you know, writing about, what my book about, what my discoveries are, and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So with some of these, these really hard questions mm-hmm. that you've had to encounter and. And uh, I think that's part of the art of life, right? Mm-hmm. Is is asking good questions about mm-hmm. what's going on or why, you know? I think some of the deepest questions we can ask are, for me, it's been value. Mm-hmm. Like, am I valuable? Mm-hmm. Or do I, what are my gifts or talents or abilities? I think especially men, mm-hmm. we have a jacked up understanding of, of who we are, yeah. you know, and then men like you know what you, what you. I just heard a guy today on the radio talking about. He was a, a NFL football guy, and and he said, uh, he said for for a lot of us men, our value is what someone's going to pay us. 
Hmm. And that's a lot of how we value ourselves, you know? Yeah, that's all and on the surface, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's just more of that kind of surface-y mm -hmm. bullshit. And there's a lot of really miserable rich people. Absolutely. You know? So value for me is, has been, it's, it's so much deeper than how much money you make mm -hmm. or or anything like that. The money won't matter at that point. You know, that yeah. uh, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, a big moving thing that I've always, I've never, it's been hard for me to understand is, you know, there's this, uh, this multi, multi-billionaire, I forget what his name was, but I mean, he had over $20 billion. Uh, he was worth over $20 billion. I mean, the guy could, there's nothing he could not afford. Yeah. I mean, literally he could just buy an island if he wanted, whatever else. And, when he was interviewed, the interviewer asked him, uh, you know, just a simple question. Well, how much money is enough? And, I mean, this guy who could want for nothing, his answer was just a little bit more. And I just, like, broke my brain. I'm like, what? Nah. Like, I look at you and I'm like, I, I mean, I, I would think that you would be content to that point. But the thing is, is he's searching for the wrong piece. Yeah. Yeah. He's just decorating his mask yeah. with everything he can, making, trying to give himself value to the mask to offset all of the cracks. Yeah. But it doesn't fix the cracks or anything like that, and, and it doesn't even address who you truly are behind the mask. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and like you said, value, that was the number one thing that kept me from writing a book. People have been telling me to write a book for years. And I've come up with a lot of <laughs> a lot of definitions and analogies for the problem that we have that we have as humans and everything, especially in the United States. You know, the problems I, I've come up with a lot, a lot of analogies and tools for and everything else. But I re refused to write a book until I could figure out how it all comes together and where it all came together with it, it was with value and with who we are mm -hmm. i never knew who i was so i and how we look at ourselves is how we look at other people when yeah. we judge ourselves by the mask we're going to compare our mask to someone else's and be like oh his cracks are bigger so i'm doing all right or <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. darn that guy looks less cracked even though we don't see all their cracks we don't see everything they're going yeah, through yeah. Everything, like all the things they've done wrong projecting too you know, we end up throwing right. our mask at people and it's like, all yeah. surface exactly they yeah, wonder yeah, why yeah. you know they wonder why uh you know divorce is at an all-time high is because we are just fighting tooth and nail to defend our masks and so you get you get two people who are together who are arguing about oh this crack or that crack in your mask and going back and forth and uh, and it, it just gets everything is on the surface that's why everybody complains about the little arguments that are yeah. it's all on the surface and it's all in order to protect this mask or to keep our mask together or, you know, to keep from feeling like we have no value because we think that the mask is us. But then on the inside, both people in that situation feel equally misunderstood. They feel equally misheard. They feel equally unloved even when they're in the embrace of the person that they know they love. Yeah. They feel alone. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to, you know, both in therapy and I do life coaching on the side now, but um, I've talked to hundreds of couples and it's always 
the same issue. It's these these surface things that are going on so that they can protect their mask or glue their mask together and it's all these right. things that are happening on the surface when in all reality something underneath in them is what's causing the issue or what is the issue. Uh, yeah. It seems like do you feel like we invest sometimes in that mask you know it's like small potatoes like we make really small things big things mm -hmm. because it's so surface because we're so invested in that surface mm -hmm. identity mm -hmm. that, uh, that that that's a lot of problems that couples have right? yeah because if you see a mask if you see so you're trying to maintain your mask you're trying to look as good as you can if somebody starts pointing out even a little bit of a crack or if a little bit or if you're reminded of something you know another another issue with it we jump to defense to to keep that from cracking more or keep it from looking worse or whatever else. in all reality those are those cracks are our responses to life so whether it is our failure whether it's uh, life's failure on us yeah I mean a lot of times it's just our response to life mm -hmm. and our response to life is not who we are you know I'll never forget um, one of my breakthrough moments um, was one of the few times I was ever truly crying in front of another guy. You know, we try to maintain that mask, you know, so, yeah, yeah. so I would never cry in front of another guy. But this was one time we're like, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to die at this point anyway. So I <laughs> may as well. And I'm just, I start bawling and I, I tell this guy about every failure, every sick thought I've had, every, uh, every sin, every, uh, terrible thing I had done in my life. And I'm just bawling and I'm, I'm falling apart in front of him. And I finally, finally finished telling him about all my failures. I, I've never tell, told any one person about all my failures, right. right? I completely ripped off that mask and be like, ah, oh, see all my cracks. <laughs> um, so I tell him about all this stuff and at the end he told me a couple of really important things. He said, one, we all make decisions based off of what we see at any given point in time. And that's just at that, that split second when you're making that decision, you have, yeah. you have, that's what you have. You have the facts that, that are in front of you. And life doesn't just give us you know, positive, <laughs> it gives, yeah. gives us sometimes a great amount of negative. And since we're surviving species, we have to rise up to survive. And, you know, when life's throwing a punch and it's getting ugly, you have to kind of get a little bit ugly yourself and throw a punch back sometimes. Otherwise, it will crush you. You see the people who get crushed by it, yeah. who don't fight back. You see the people who just get run over. Mm -hmm. And then you see the people who are fighting back and they, yeah, they sometimes get angry and ugly and, and in, whether it's in a relationship in war, other things like that, you know, just in life at work, whatever, wherever you are. And so he told me that he said, you know, that, that response to life is just, that's, that's what it is. It's a response to any given point in time. And you take all that you have at that point and you make a decision. And that's not who you are, though. Yeah. And then he asked me two questions. One, again, the importance of questions. Right. <laughs> um, he asked me one question. He said, you know, what is that? What kind of feeling does that give you? And I, I, you know, I told him, I feel guilty. I feel depressed. I feel angry at myself, angry at life, and frustrated, all this other stuff, right? And we all know those emotions. Mm -hmm. 
All right, those are easy. That's the easy answer. But then he asked me a question I never considered before. I never asked myself before. He said, where do those feelings come from? I'm like, uh, took a second. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe my influences, things I've seen in life. He's like, no, because we decide whether we want to you know, take part. I mean, there's people who grow up in a, uh, you know, a white picket fence life, you yeah. know, yeah. and they still choose to go somewhere else mm. with their life. They choose to take a dive or whatever else. Um, that's those feelings we have don't come from our outside. Those feelings we have about that me telling myself I'm a monster, me telling myself I'm a failure, me telling me all all these feelings I had came from who I truly am inside. Right. And I never that never occurred to me that that was who I was, how I felt about things. People get stuck there, right? Like frozen yeah. in time. Yeah. Well, we're told growing up that it doesn't matter how you feel about something, it matters what you do. Yeah. Right, uh, we're told you know you're supposed to push everything down and suppress everything that's bad. Especially us guys. Yeah, right? especially us guys. Tough it up, <laughs> suck it up. Yeah, yeah. You know, make the right choices. Don't be a girl and start crying. What are you? Right. What are you doing, Nancy? Right. Yeah, but those those feelings come from who we are and what my brain yeah, was really yeah. telling me. It, it wasn't telling me I was a monster. No. What it was saying is this was not me. This was outside your character. Because if I didn't have that feeling of guilt. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have that feeling of anger, if I didn't have a sense of justice, then that that means that I didn't have those morals yeah. to begin with. Yeah. The fact that I was angry, the fact that I was upset at myself, upset at my dad, upset at life, whatever. Injustice. Yeah. yeah. Injustice. Just was, justice was the number one thing that I have struggled with my entire life. That's oh. the whole reason I've held on to all that weight and I've... You know, suppress it and everything else yeah, is, yeah. is because I didn't feel like it was fair. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And yeah, same thing fair. with myself is like, that's all we have. That's all we have control of is our uh, emotions in most situations. Yeah, yeah. We can't go back and fix our mistakes, so we're going to hold ourselves to them because we are moral beings. Mm -hmm. If you don't care, then hey, that's just who you are. Mm -hmm. You just do those things, and you just don't care. There's people who are psychotic and who will murder somebody and then they don't bat an eye yeah yeah a sociopath or yeah it's psychopath it's, you know they actually have something disconnected in their brain and that that becomes who they are mm -hmm. versus someone who has all these feelings which we use in the wrong ways i always i always mistranslated those feelings mm. my brain would tell me i'm a monster but what my brain is saying is this is not you. Yeah. You are better. I wish you wouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. That feeling comes from who we are. Yeah. That's who we are. I think that's important too because a lot of times we're told. I just heard a guy recently, uh, somebody told me to listen to this guy's story and. Like he starts out with feelings are bad, <laughs> like what you know, um, and, and, I, and I get what he's saying. Like you don't want to be a slave to your whims or your feelings, but feelings are important. Mm -hmm. They are mentionable and they are manageable. Mm -hmm. uh, it does take some skill, but to say that I, I heard a neurologist at Berkeley, a, a psychologist professor at Berkeley, said that. He had all these students put their cell phones out on the table, mm -hmm. and then he says, your brain is like that phone. Mm -hmm. He says, it's sitting there, it's doing things, it's checking the weather or whatever. He says, but until you feel like picking it up and doing something with it, 
-hmm. It doesn't do anything. It's mm -hmm. useless. Mm -hmm. This is your your brain is the same thing. He goes, everything you do is based on a feeling. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Sorry to all you, you know, Skinner psychologist people who think that everything's supposed to be logical and if mm -hmm. we could kick out our emotions, everything would be better. That's bullshit mm -hmm. because we wouldn't do anything. We would just mm -hmm. be like, you know, sitting there like a, a bump on a log doing yeah. nothing, you know, yeah. processing the world and, and, uh, but I, I like what you're saying about you know the the mask, and it reminds me of uh, a philosopher we had on the show, uh, Peter Rollins, who talks about the zombie drive, you know, and he said that you know, like there's a lot of these self help people who will write books and stuff like that, or or like sports people, you know, mm -hmm. just just work really hard and achieve that mm -hmm. goal. And if you work really hard and achieve that goal, mm -hmm. then you'll you'll get it. You know, you'll get the happiness. You'll be right. feel fulfilled and all this. And he said, he said, zombies do that, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? right? Like a zombie, that's all they do is like, arr, arr, and they're just constant. They're very tenacious. Like mm -hmm. they don't quit. Mm -hmm. You know, those are, those are values that we like in, in culture and in society. But like, like you say, it's up here on the surface as part of that mask, the, the zombie drive. It's part of why I'm a theist too, is I think we have a spirit in us mm -hmm. that trumps our ego, you know? That zombie drive can be attached to a lot of that id, mm -hmm. you know, that animal-like behavior that just, I'm going to get what I want now because I right. feel like this is this is going to satisfy me in the now, right? Uh, but that's all on the surface. They, yeah. If you're addressing things physically and mentally and you forget about your soul, yeah. your soul, you know, and soul is kind of like this mystic thing. I was actually at a meeting last night where we were discussing you know what is a soul and what it what and uh the way i feel about it is i feel the soul on the inside is our is the thing that gives us desire for what's right mm. and a desire for truth and if you aren't addressing those things if you're trying to ignore what's what's right what's not your you know your sense of justice your sense of uh, morals and everything else then you're ignoring your soul and you're just trying to uh, adjust the physical or adjust the mental. If you're trying to adjust the mental, focus on the positive. Well, the negative's gonna be beating you in the back of the head because it's all connected in your brain. All emotions are in the same section of your brain. There's one way in, one way out. Uh -huh. The only way to shut off the negative is by shutting it all off. Mm. Some of the times I was the most successful at doing what I've always been told, you know, sucking it up, pushing it down, were some of the most miserable, lonely points in my life. Yeah. On the outside, I had a smile. I was Captain yeah. Fun, they said, you know, uh, like, yeah. whatever. You know, I was, on the outside, I, I was all smiles, but on the inside, I was so alone. You know, I, I, was, I would be able to do all the things, you know, normal in a day, but I would look at my wife. I knew on the inside, I felt love towards her I knew uh, I would look at my kids and I knew on the inside I felt love towards them but I could never express it never had the energy or anything to suppress it because I was so busy trying to hold all this negative in that side of the brain right right so ignore it you're, you're are, are you saying like you didn't want them to see that part of you or well it's it's that I was trying to hold all my pain all the pain, anger, un, you know, feeling like it's unjust, it's not fair and everything. I, I was trying to hold all the negative back like people have told me to right, do yeah, my yeah, whole yeah. life. Right. You know, don't feel pretend it, don't cry. Yeah, yeah. Pretend, focus on the positive, the silver lining and all this right. other stuff, right. which, which never worked for the people who were telling me this. 
because they're still angry, frustrated, miserable about their own stuff. They're just telling me this, you know, this thing that's not working for them. Yeah. Same thing with counseling. I heard so many things from so many different counselors and they had the same weight in their eyes that I had in mine. Right. Yeah. It's not working for them yet they're telling yeah. me that this the, is what you're supposed to drive, do. drive, right? Yeah, it's like, what, the, what are you doing? What yeah. are you doing? Yeah. And that's, the thing is, is that that is not who we are on the inside. If you only address things physically and you only address things on the surface and you don't address those mor morals and that thing inside of you that seeks for truth and what's right, then you're going to, I mean, you're not... <laughs> You're going to continue to try to fulfill that, just like that rich guy. Try to fulfill that in the wrong ways, and you will never, ever succeed. Yeah. If you're just trying to fulfill the physical or the mental. Mm -hmm. you know, trying to distract yourself. Yeah, that's something that I've seen, too, doing some of the work I've done in podcasting and life coaching a little bit. Is, like, there's... It's funny, like, having guests on the show, um, I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for certainty addicts, mm -hmm. you know, uh, whether it's atheist or religious, mm -hmm. because they, 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 they think they got the answers, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? None of right? us have all the answers. Exactly. And, it's not, and they would say they don't have all the answers either, but, the, the, but they'll hold tightly and have these really heavy emotional reactions mm -hmm. to what isn't right in their eyes, mm -hmm. you know, rather than being able to address or ask questions mm -hmm. or uh, understand, right. you know, the, the, the dialogue in between the two. One of them for me was uh, morality, like even in the Bible, like Jesus and the Pharisees, right? Like Jesus is, these guys are just, you know, uh, varsity at mm -hmm. being good. Yeah, right. they're 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 empty inside, and they're kind of mean. You yeah, know? like he had the harshest words for the people who had whole books of the Bible yeah, who tried the hardest. And, yeah, exactly. Tried who, the hardest. Who addressed and, those service, the physical, mental. Yeah, you know, they're physically right on the outside, yeah. and in the mental, they you know they tried really yeah. hard, and they were yeah. you know, go go getters, whatever. But when it came to the heart, yeah, they continuously fall short. Yeah. Matthew 23 was that he says uh, he calls them whitewashed tombs you know mm -hmm. you're full of dead man's bones and yep. up on the surface you're a nice you know manicured lawn with a mm -hmm. nice headstone yeah. <laughs> you know or the cup I love that that analogy where he says you know you're like a you're like a dish that's all sparkly clean on the outside right. and the inside's all rancid and nasty yeah yeah, yeah so true um, fiction for me is something that that I really enjoy because uh, stories and, and fiction tends to get past people's watchful dragons. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, C.S. Lewis used those those that analogy. You know, like the, the, what what uh, a good story can do is tiptoe past the parts where we feel. You know, our, our morals are, no, that's not right. But then a story can go, oh, like, that makes me think about that person as an individual right. and, and stuff. Like, is there, is there a film uh, for you? Like, what, do you have a, a favorite movie or something that, hmm. that you like that has touched you or moved you in some way? An interesting film on humanity, I would have to say, Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like such an interesting, uh, like, shows us, like, just the deep, 
dark insides of when you strip away everything on the your whole world is thrown apart yeah. and you just get down to the survival basics the right and wrong becomes cloudy yeah. right and wrong becomes uh you know, like life and death yeah you know and and i i would say when it comes to humanity that's one of the most interesting shows to me it it very much represents kind of like what uh, what combat was like mm. you know the deep deep combat right. um, because you know I was I was raised to love your enemies I was I was raised to you know turn a cheek and all this other stuff which was which I was good at for a while uh, but it, there was a certain point where I'd lost enough and my life was threatened enough and you know I'd lost enough of my friends that I just Everyone in my unit just, we, it was kind of like the Walking Dead where, I mean, when everything else is stripped away, everything you know, all the morals are questions and questioned and challenged uh, to that point. I mean, it, it challenges you to relook at what people have told you. And, and at that point, I mean, we made decisions that, I mean, the hardest parts of war for me were not the things that could be explained by war. It was the things that went above that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not going to get into too many details right, on, yeah, yeah. on the on the show about that. Uh, I'll I'll go into some detail on my book, but um, I would just say that you know that as far as humanity goes, that uh, The Walking Dead really relates to what what war is truly like. You yeah. see what you're actually capable of right. me who I, I mean I have high morals and some of the things I did in war that I did under you know in these points you know this is the reason I was bawling in front of that guy you know and uh, I'd gotten to such a deep part where I'd made such monumental mistakes that I just I was racked with guilt inside over what I did even though it was a response to life I would never I would never do that normally. Right. I mean, I would never just up and do that for one. Uh, in addition to that, the fact that I have that guilt says that there's that the inside of me, my soul, is fighting with what I did, and right, so that's yeah, not yeah. really who I was. I think this is an uh, also, and you know, I know I'm jumping around some, but I think this is another issue with the justice system, always addressing the physical. Mm -hmm. And we all look at it kind of with that sense of justice that we all want, you know. We look at it and somebody gets, uh, uh, you know, convicted and they're guilty. We're like, ah, you're guilty. You're going to get your punishment. We got this, like, little rush of justice, good feelings, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that happen. Yeah. And how bad guys die in movies. Like, right. that's a whole thing to that. Right, like, but, but, yeah. on, but they don't address what happens to these people. And I, I, uh, I've done a lot of... Uh, prison ministries I've done uh, I, I worked with both homeless and um, uh, convicted veterans and stuff and um, the thing is, is that's not what happens in the courtroom whether they're convicted or not is never the full story yeah exactly there's always so much other things yeah they may, may have made a terrible mistake or even a terrible choice but long before that a whole bunch of weight was put on them yeah. from some sort of trauma some sort of whatever that weight is a whole bunch was put on them and then they were faced you know they made a decision more ugly 
is yeah. coming at them, and they swung back. They yeah. make a terrible, terrible choice. Yeah. And, you know, the courts only address the physical, mental aspect on the outside and the punishment on the outside, but then nobody discusses with them, hey, how did we get here? What happened? And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm convinced that the difference between, you know, a lot of convicted felons and anyone else is circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. opportunity. It was pointed out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. a lot of us have had the thoughts before of, you know, like, I yeah. wish I could kill that person. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. I wish I could just strangle him. But. I'm a fan of Walking Dead, too, and John and I on the show were talking about, like, so, so I'm not going to church anymore mm-hmm. for a while. I, I've... Uh, there's just been too much like i've seen so much shit mm-hmm. based on some of the work i've done too right um it seems like it's kind of it's like this walking dead analogy like you you get away from the zombies to be with the real people then you find out that oh they're they're just as if not more dangerous mm-hmm. than the freaking zombies on the outside yeah right you know like all this stuff with all these sexual harassment claims and and when something happens or the catholic church right mm-hmm. like we would like to think that we're the church is in the world but not of the world right but like my friend Derek pointed out usually when when someone gets caught or something happens like this the mm-hmm. worst of the world comes out of these people mm-hmm. you know bury the victims uh plausible deniability you know systemic silence mm-hmm. we're just not going to talk to you pretend mm-hmm. like you ice you out like you don't exist like it's it's like holy shit like this is the walking dead right yeah and uh so yeah until i could see some of that like systems and institutions so that's one of the questions that i'm dealing with is can can we have a a a, a real spiritual community when you mix in this systems and institutions and organizations because they tend to get to that surface mask level of ego you know they get into our egos we got to manage this thing and people like social psychology would say that there's a there's a subconscious thing in us that wants to protect the system over 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 anything else Mm -hmm. you know we will lie we'll Mm -hmm. we'll so don't report pastor so-and-so you know well, that's the uh, herd mentality. You know, we're yeah. you know, protect the herd, protect the herd. Exactly, you know? yeah. Uh, the thing is, the the herd is the issue. Uh, the herd is ignoring. Uh, you know, it's the herd is just a group of masks together. You know, like <laughs> exactly. it's it's ignoring all the stuff on the inside. You don't want to expose your weaknesses. You don't want to feel vulnerable. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, you know, I I was terrified. You know, growing up, even in church and everything else, I was, I was always, you know, taught, okay, well, keep all that stuff, you know, private and everything else. When the Bible doesn't say that, yeah. the Bible doesn't say keep it private. They, it specifically says to seek counsel. It specifically yeah. says to talk confess about it. Confess your sins and, one to and another. And to confront. <laughs> and to confront. Yeah, confess, confess yeah. your sins. It's, it doesn't say these, you know, things anecdotally. Like it's like it's just like it's there. But the thing is, that in in so many churches, religion becomes your best defense you know on the outside and then when you really take the church out of it and you look at these people's lives i mean they're they're falling apart just as much as everyone else they're just painting it differently and that to me caused me a lot of frustration in church um and caused me to get even more lost in some ways because people weren't honest um that's why there i had one pastor that I respected more than anybody 
And it was because he was honest about his sins. He was honest about, hey, look, you know, I mess up in this way. I mess up in this way. Yeah. He's not trying to paint it like, hey, all of a sudden I'm perfect. And like, yeah, life exactly. is good. Life's easy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and to me, I, I, I just, I desired so much growing up that somebody would be real with me. And this is a reason why after the, after the Marine Corps, I, I could not. I could not make friends like I used to. I felt like people didn't understand me, like the guys who I served with. And the reason I now hindsight twenty twenty, uh, I used to think it was just because you know we're all in the military, we understand each other because of that. But it's not just that. It's that when you go through trials with somebody, that mask gets ripped off. Yeah, it does. And you see the natural underneath side and you feel closer to that person because of that because you see them truthfully honestly and all of a sudden you don't feel as alone because that's how we all feel about ourselves on the inside whether it's whether they're making a mistake or not when they're honest about it when they're truthful about it those are the people i respect and am closest to and and the thing is, is you know i i get out and I'm already trying to suppress all this pain from my childhood, all this pain from war, all this pain from uh, from relationships and everything else. And the only thing anybody ever wanted to talk about was the war stuff. You know, like, yeah. oh, PTSD, it's just war stuff. Like, I got, <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, yeah, that was the worst thing I ever seen, yeah. but it was not the most personally damaging things that right. I went through. Right. It was, those were, you know, my dad... I was going uh, going through terrible relationships that were incredibly hurtful to my to who I thought I was and everything. Yeah. Going going with all that stuff, I I'm just I'm thankful now that I can finally see it clearly because I would uh, I would desire to have friends when I got out, but I couldn't relate to people because they wouldn't take off their mask and be real. Right. And friends, or my acquaintances at the time, I wouldn't call them true friends because they never took off their mask. Um, but they would say, oh, you want to come hang out on the weekend? And on the outside, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds like fun. On the inside, immediately my brain would be like, i got to find an excuse to get out of this. i got to get, how do I get out of this? And I, I didn't understand that until I asked myself why. And I'm like, well, it's because it's exhausting to hold this mask up in front of somebody. Right, yeah. It takes effort. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather just sit at home depressed yeah. and actually feel truly feel than to try to fake it and hold up you know this mask in front of yet another person i already have to yeah. do that enough with you know the other people in my life yeah that's what i found is a good a good friend filter like you know reading the bible for myself i came across something that paul said about keeping his flaws in the light you know mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah and so so that's me and, and and especially around christians like there's 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 a lot of religious people mm-hmm. and then there's people that have faith and i think that there's those are two different things to mm-hmm. me i think you can mask faith with religion um but what you really actually do like that's what you put your faith in mm-hmm. right so so keeping my flaws in the light for me has been has been good because then the people that don't want to hang out, I don't want to hang out with anyway. Mm-hmm. They just sort of walk away, <laughs> right. or they tell me I'm offensive or whatever. Right. You know, I was like, sorry, like they're, I'd rather keep my flaws in the light. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then pretend that I don't say swear words and mm-hmm. I'm not angry sometimes. Right. I'm not, you know, 
I, if you're going to get me, you're going to get me. Like, that's just not, not to be a jerk or anything. And I'm still growing as a person. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I don't want to be stay stuck in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's, that's where I'm at, you know? Right. Um, music. Do you have a favorite song? A song that's kind of, if you had a, uh, an anthem for your, for your book, maybe. If your if your book was a movie, what would the the opening tune be? One day, uh, by I, I can never pronounce his name right, Matissimo, Matissimo, whatever his name is. Oh, yeah. um, it's uh, one day. That's mine and my kids' favorite song together. It's you know, it's speaking of that hope that one day this struggle, everybody will just figure it out. Yeah. Stop. You know, fighting, stop the, you know, all the, the warring back and forth and everything else, all this surface stuff, stop responding and just give the kids, give the people who are around us a break. Right. Because yeah. the kids are, I mean, I, the, my kids are going through this just like I was going through it until I took off my mask. Again, how we look at ourselves is how we look at other people. Until I took off my mask, I never saw what was behind theirs. Yeah. All I did was try to parent the outside of what they're doing. Right. You know, I did the same thing my parents did. Yeah. Oh, suck it up. Stop it. No, yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. you're going to be fine. Like, yeah. uh, oh, you're, you're, it's just a scrape. You're all right. Whatever. Instead of really seeing them for what their true struggles are. And they had a lot of struggles I never even addressed. And man, it broke my heart the first time after I'd taken off my mask, understood who I was. And then I saw who they were. It broke my heart. I was uh, just like, man, they are going through so much at school. Yeah. There's so much challenging them every single day. And I was missing it. All I could see was the symptoms of the struggle. Uh, and that's what I would try to respond to. And um, I think the corporate world ain't got shit on middle school. Oh, hell no. <laughs> it's ruthless there. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. Mm -hmm. Well... Thanks for being on the podcast. And uh, one one final question mm -hmm. I love to end uh, these conversations with is, uh, how do you want to be remembered? Well, if you died, you know, I mean, how would you want want to be remembered as a as a person, as an individual? Uh, I don't want to be remembered for who I was. Per se, um, I don't really want to be my like my name remembered. I want to myself when I am dying. I want to remember what I've done. Mm. Um, that that's what I want my lasting thought to be is I did it. Right. I I made a big enough impact. Mm. I made a change. I stopped this pattern with at least a portion of this society. Right. Yeah push back a little of the darkness mm -hmm. that's out there well thanks for, thanks again man for being on the podcast any uh anything you want to end out with mm, if i had the time i'd go through all the stuff in my book but i don't have time for that so. yeah well hey when your book is done we'd love to have you maybe back on again sure. share in the room with us or something and yeah. uh that'd be great i'd love to to I'd, i would love that i should be done by the beginning of next summer so. oh sweet right on yeah Nate, thanks again. Pleasure, as always. Yeah, yeah. All right, buddy. Thank you for listening to Punkology. Don't forget to subscribe. To hear the bumper music we play on the show, search Punk Theology. Then, follow the playlist on Spotify. Want to join us in being a punk theologist? 
Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't chicken out! First of all, I plead innocent of all charges. <laughs> Elvis has left the building.